Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Let it be today that we shout the hymn of heaven. What a great invitation for us to raise a mighty roar. We're so grateful that you're here today to celebrate the resurrection with us. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, I'm really grateful that you're here. If you're in the house, if you're joining us online, we are just filled with joy today because for 2000 years, followers of Jesus have been marking this as the most important day of our year. It was so important to the early church, the resurrection was, that they changed the day they worshiped on. The people of God used to worship on Saturday, And because Jesus walked out of the grave on a Sunday morning, the church said, we should worship on a Sunday morning rather than on Saturday. And so my guess is that you're, even if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, my guess is you're, you're grateful for the resurrection because it's because of the resurrection, the church started worshiping on Sundays. And it's because the church started worshiping on Sundays that you now get a two day weekend. (laughs) He is risen. (laughs) <laughs> but it's not just a celebration. It is that. It's, it's an answer to a problem, the resurrection is. And it's a, an answer to a problem that my guess is you've, you've sensed and you have felt. Um, a few months ago, my wife and I preemptively celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And yeah, thank you. Um, the other services didn't clap. So <laughs> bravo. Um, We decided to go to Mexico to celebrate and we decided that we would fly out of Tijuana because it's cheaper, we could get a direct flight. And we did a little bit of research and people said, oh, it's it's simple. You just go down and there's a place at the border you park, you can park right there and you walk right into the airport, hop on the plane. You'd have to be an idiot to mess it up. (laughs) And on the way there, things went great. We got right onto our plane and it was simple. And on the way back, it was about 10 p.m. at night when our flight landed in TJ. And my wife, Kelly, and I were both looking at our phones to try to find the tickets to walk across the bridge to where our car was. And we must have lost track of where we were and missed the sign that said CBX crossing here. And instead of going on the bridge we were supposed to be on, we walked out and found ourselves on the streets of TJ. And from where we were, we could look up and we could see the bridge we were supposed to be on. And it was the feeling of, oh no, (laughs) we're in the wrong place. We, We weren't designed to be here. We were designed to be there. We tried to turn around and go back into the airport. If you've ever tried to do that without a ticket, um, you know, it's not easy. And we were greeted there by a security guard that said, you can't go back in. Sorry. And so 60 minutes later, $60 later, two unmarked taxis later, we eventually got back to our car. It was a little bit sketchy, but that feeling of we're not supposed to be here just sort of sat with me. My guess is you felt that. You you felt that when you, you said goodbye to a loved one. And you just had this sense in your soul. It was, the story wasn't supposed to go like this. My guess is you felt that when, when they told you that the marriage was over and you went, no, 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 that, we're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be there. When you got stabbed in the back by a friend or 
You didn't get that job that you thought you were just perfect for. My guess is you felt that existential angst that we've all felt. This isn't the way that life was supposed to go. And it's not all bad, is it? I mean, we get glimpses of glory, don't we? And it may be in just sharing a great meal with good friends where you go, this is what it's supposed to be like. Or holding a, a baby close to your chest or a child that you love and you go, this is what we were designed for. Or watching the, the sun dip down into the Pacific and just soaking it in in all of its glory and you go, yes. But every single one of those moments fade. And trying to hold on to them is like trying to dip your, your hand into a bucket of water and just grab it. it, it they just seem to, to disappear, don't they? And so I think we can all echo what C.S. Lewis wrote when he said, if I find in myself desires in which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Raise your hand if you've ever had that sense. Me too, that we were made for another world. Do you know who would agree with us? God, God. That he would look at us in the midst of, of sin, pain, death, and evil, and he would go, that, that's not the way that I designed it. That the reason that we have that existential angst within us, that ache of our soul, is because we weren't designed to have those moments end. We weren't designed to ever say goodbye. We were designed to live forever, and we have that residue left on our soul from God's design. And I'm here to tell you today that resurrection is God's answer to the ache that we all feel in our bones. It's his answer to our If you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to open up to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. It's on page 1067 in that Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you can turn to the middle and just start turning to the right. And when you eventually get to names you recognize, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're getting close, all right? You're getting close close. For context, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this event that happened in the life of Jesus. Jesus was about 25 miles away from this little town of Bethany where his friends lived. One of his friends' names was Lazarus, and Lazarus was sick, and so his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Implication, will you come and heal him like you've done for so many other people? And Jesus stayed where he was east of the Jordan for how many days? Does anybody remember this many? Two days. Sort of sitting on his hands, not not moving as quickly as they would want him to. And eventually Lazarus dies. And after that, Jesus decides he should probably go to Bethany to see what's happened. And so that's where we pick up the story in verse 21. Martha, one of those sisters, went out to meet Jesus. It says this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Anybody said something similar to God? Got it? You could have shown up and made the story go differently. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's a statement of faith, is it not? You can ask whatever, and he's going to answer you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise Again, what a beautiful statement. 
Uh, we're not sure if, if Jesus um, says it with, uh, my guess is he says it with kindness and confidence, but I don't know that that's the way that Martha hears it. Because listen to what she says next. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So, so Martha hears Jesus saying, he will rise again, as if to sort of push her to the side a little bit and go, come on, Martha, we all know that the story's gonna end differently than that. And someday your brother's gonna rise again. And it's as though Martha looks back at Jesus and she says, I know that he will rise someday, but how does that help me today? I, 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 I have a hope for that in the way distant future, but I've got some real pain and I've got some real brokenness and I've got some real hurt in my life right now. Many of you ever thought about the resurrection in that way? Yeah, God, God we, we, we believe, but how does that really help us today? And it's what Jesus says next, that for 2000 years, followers of Jesus have been basing their lives and their eternities and their hope and their joy on, even in the midst of trying circumstances. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says to her, I am the what? resurrection and the life. And with that statement, he's doing two things. Number one, he is pointing to the fact that in a few days he will die on a Roman cross for the sin of the world. He will be buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he will walk out of the grave on Easter morning with new life in his hands. But he doesn't just say, I will be resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. As if to say, not only am I going to walk out of the grave, but you will be on my back and I will walk you out of the grave also. Yeah. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks Martha the most important question anyone has ever asked anyone else. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's as though Jesus comes up to Martha in all of her brokenness, in all of her sorrow, in all of her pain, Having just buried her brother, the tears aren't even dry on her cheeks. And he wants to bend down and say to her, Martha, I know this feels like the end of the story, but it's actually the middle. I know this feels like a period after the life of Lazarus, but it's actually, it's actually a comma. Martha, the tomb will eventually become a womb that will give birth to new Life. See, Jesus is claiming that because he would walk out of the grave, they would one day too. And resurrection is the eternal hope that Jesus speaks into present hurt. In Martha's life and in your life and in my life. He says, I know it feels like the end, but it's actually a comma. It is not a period at the end of the sentence. See, last week we saw that Jesus weeps with us, that he hurts with us and for us because of the way that sin, death, and evil have fractured his good creation. But today we see that one day he will redeem all hurt and all pain and all sorrow through resurrection.
And I think that oftentimes we're a little bit like Martha, where we go, yeah, 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 that, that's nice, that'll happen someday. But I don't know if we've let it hit us today, that one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. This is not a way to distance ourselves from the pain that we experience. That's very real. And God wants us to feel that as he guides us and leads us through it. It's not a way to medicate our souls. It's not an opiate for the masses, as some have suggested. It is a truth that we can step into and that can give our lives hope and meaning today. I don't know what you're walking through today, but I know that Jesus walked out of the grave and he walked out with you on his shoulders. And so we can be confident that suffering is never the end of the story because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But Jesus wasn't content to just tell his followers and his friends that. He actually wanted to give them a picture of what that would look like. So if this were um, a uh, literature class, we would say that this is foreshadowing. If we were looking at it, watching a movie, we would see that this is like a little Easter egg that's dropped in there for us to know what's coming in the end. It's exactly what Jesus does for this family as he walks up to the tomb of Lazarus. And it's a picture he wants us to step into today as well. Jump down to verse 38 with me, where Jesus finally approaches that tomb. It says, and then Jesus deeply moved again. And in the Greek, it's, it's, he's indignant, he's frustrated, he's ticked off, he's angry. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone had been laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> and Martha says, bad idea. Time out, Jesus. Do you understand what you're asking us to do? She said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. This is my favorite verse in the King James translation of the Bible. It says, he stinketh. <laughs> King Jimmy for the win, right? Oh my goodness, he's stinking. And what John wants us to know is it's been four days because in the ancient world, there was this rabbinic tradition that the soul would hover over the body for three days after a person had died to sort of wonder, is this person dead? Am I gonna be able to re-enter or not? And so what John wants us to know is that Lazarus is not mostly dead. Thank you, Princess Bride. But he is totally dead. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. I love that we get this snapshot into the prayer life of our Messiah. And maybe just maybe if his power came from prayer, so does ours. And it's at this point, I wanna invite us to slow down because here's where we're gonna get the, the foreshadowing, the picture, the snapshot of not only Jesus's resurrection, but subsequently ours also. When Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. 
I mean, just imagine Jesus shouting, standing with these people watching. The stone has been moved away, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And you wonder if there was a, a silent pause. People started to look around and wonder, what's going what's gonna to happen? L- let's do a little project together. I-, I want us to make a list of all of the things that Lazarus does to get resurrected. <laughs> so what, is, what does Lazarus bring? Lazarus brings death. Thank you. That's it. The list is short, friends. The only thing Lazarus brings to the party is death. Somebody at the nine o'clock said, and the stanketh part, right? <laughs> yeah, that too, right? That's all that he brings. And maybe it's fitting that Lazarus's name means God is my help. Because what we're seeing is a picture of the reality that Lazarus is a passive observer of the resurrection in so many ways. He's the object, he is not the subject because resurrection is an act of grace, it's not a work of the will. Resurrection is not, hey, um, if you do a really good job, then you could work yourself into resurrection. Resurrection is not, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. Resurrection, the only thing we bring to resurrection, friends, is death. And it's in that death that we throw ourselves wholly and completely on the grace and mercy of God, trusting that the one who created us in the first place is also the one who resurrects and recreates because he loves us too much to let us be taken away by sin, death, and evil. He steps into our ache and he heals it through resurrection. But this is his work, not ours. His work, not ours. Here's the second thing that I want to point out. I love that Jesus walks up to this grave and says, Lazarus. He names him. And I started to think, what if Jesus had just walked up to the grave and said, come out. Who else would have come? Right? Like, Hundreds of people just start walking out of the grave like, hey, I'm Bob, it's nice to meet you. How long's Bob been dead? My goodness, right? Like, no, so, so he names him, and I say that in jest. There's, I think there's something deeper going on here though. And it's this truth, it's the truth that resurrection is a personal call. It's not a corporate announcement. It's not, it's not hey, everybody be resurrected. One day, you will hear Jesus call your name, your name, not just all of humanity, but you. That's why Jesus, when he's talking to Martha, he asks her, do you believe this? Not Martha, does your family believe this? And not Martha, do your people believe this? And not Martha, does your church believe this? He says, Martha, do you believe this? The year was 1890 and the now famous painter Vincent Van Gogh was in the hospital because of of mental and physical anguish. And as he was in the hospital, his brother sent him uh, a picture of Rembrandt's painting of this event of the raising of Lazarus. And Van Gogh decided that he would do his own now famous depiction of this same event, but he made one distinct difference. 
instead of painting Lazarus's face like he thought it might have looked, he painted his own. He painted a self-portrait. And I don't know if he was speaking hope to his soul because he was walking through pain. But the point he was making was, I too will be resurrected. Did, did you know you could put your own face on this picture? You too will be resurrected. I, I know, I know, I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. To that I say, yes and amen. But God didn't just love the world, he loved you. He loved you. He didn't just die for the world, he died for you. He had you on his mind. How do I know? I know because when the scriptures talk about God, they describe him as a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to run after the one. They, they describe him as a, a woman who sweeps her house to find one lost coin. Jesus describes a father running towards his one son on the road to wrap him in his arms and to welcome him home. This isn't just about all of humanity, friends. This is about you and me. We were on his mind when he died for us on the cross. We were on his mind when he walked out of the grave. If you let that truth hit your soul, it will change you forever. And so what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, as Charles Wesley so brilliantly put, that love's redeeming work is done. The cross and the resurrection are an act of love, not just for humanity, but for you. He fought the fight, the battle won, death in vain forbid him rise. Christ has opened paradise. One day, friends, he will call your name. Here's the truth, that because resurrection is a personal calling, it requires a personal decision. It's about you. What do you say? How do you respond? Here's the third thing that I want you to see about resurrection and the way that this sort of foreshadowing, foretelling story points towards it. It says, then the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And what I want us to recognize is that Lazarus does not walk out of the grave as a ghost. He doesn't walk out of the grave as like a zombie. He walks out of the grave as a person that they can recognize, that they're able to touch, that linen is able to hang on. And it's pointing us to the reality that resurrection is about a physical body, not about existing for eternity as a disembodied soul. And I would argue that Christianity is the most materialistic religion there is. Here's what I mean by that. As followers of Jesus, we believe that matter matters. We believe that this creation matters. We believe that our bodies matter. We believe that God's good world that he created matters. It matters so much that God is unwilling to let it be taken away by the throes of sin, death, and evil, but that he is rescuing it and us through resurrection. And I know some of you will go, well, Ryan, um, what about people who are in heaven now? Doesn't the Bible teach that when we're absent from the body, we are, anybody know? Present with the Lord. To that I would say, 
Yes and amen, it's exactly what the scriptures teach. The scriptures also teach that that is not our final destination. That is not where we exist for all of eternity. The scriptures teach that one day when Jesus comes back, the dead will be raised and that we will have a body like his, like Jesus's resurrected body. That's our destiny. That's our eternity. And Jesus's resurrected body, he was able to walk up to people and say, come on, touch my hands, touch my side, touch my feet. He was able to eat a meal to the glory of God, right? And he was also able to teleport and walk through walls. (laughs) Sign me up. But this is where the whole thing is heading, friends. It's not heading towards us being disembodied spirits for all time. It's us having resurrected bodies, physical bodies for all of eternity. And I think a lot of times we get that wrong. One of the books that helped me so much right after my mom passed away was a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And um, there's a little sort of Cliff Notes version of that book. Uh, It's about 60 pages and we got... Uh, a few thousand copies of these to hand out to every single person or family uh, who comes this morning because we want you to be able to dig in and see what the scriptures actually teach about eternal life. So on your way out, I wanna invite you, your family to grab one of these and just dig in to the reality that resurrection is about a physical body, not about existing as a disembodied soul for all of eternity. But there's one more distinction that I wanna make between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus's and, and ours. It says this, Jesus says, all who believe in me shall never die. <laughs> but Lazarus died again. Did you know that? Eventually they had to go through the same motions that they went through and they had to bury him again. I sort of wonder, did they go and get the order of service from the memorial and go, well, these songs worked the first time around pretty well. Like, let's just rinse and repeat. I don't, I don't know what they did, but eventually they buried Lazarus again. They buried him again. But did you know that when Jesus walked out of the grave, he walked out of the grave never to be buried again, to live for all of eternity. And you and I are destined for the exact same thing as the apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, what? Perishable. What is raised, what? Imperishable. Here's Paul's point. Our bodies right now are sort of like that jar that you have in the fridge where you break the seal of it and it starts going bad. That from the moment we were born, we were in the process of starting to to go bad. Our our bodies are, are perishable. Some of you know that painfully well. when you hear him call your name. And when you walk out of the grave, you will never go bad. Resurrection is a permanent reality, not a temporary state. There is no more sickness, no more goodbyes, no more heartbreak, no more death, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more ever Again, the old order of things will pass away and behold, the new will come. I love the way that Friedrich Buchner put it when he said, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. 
Suffering is never the end of the story. Resurrection is God's reversal of death and his emphatic never again. Never again. And I love that in this story, Jesus gives his friends and his followers this signpost, this this foreshadowing picture of what's coming for them in the end. And do you know what? He's not done doing that. We get these snapshots and pictures, these glimpses of glory, of resurrection in our lives too. He wants to infuse us with hope and life, not just then, but, but now. So a few months ago, we started praying for this family in our church, the Santos family. Hannah was pregnant and the doctors told her that it didn't look good. And so as a church community, we started to pray and we started to ask God to move and he gave us a little foretaste of what's to come. Here's their story. I'm Jose Santos. Yeah, and I'm Hannah Santos. And we're here to tell you about the story of uh, baby Samuel and how Jesus got us through this difficult season. We found out we were pregnant with Samuel July 3rd and he's our second baby. So we're just really excited. And up until about 12 weeks, the pregnancy was going pretty well. Around September, we went to the doctor and found out that uh, there was low ambiotic fluid. We went to a specialist and she said she recommended getting an abortion, to be honest with you, and the likelihood of him surviving was not high. After that appointment, we just kind of went home crying and praying and just hoping that somehow by the next appointment, the fluid would be back. God taught me how to ask for help during this season um, with my life group and with family and friends. And that small group like just gathered around us and became family. Um, they would bring food to me in the hospital. They bring food to Jose. They would babysit Josiah when Jose needed to study. There was just thousands of people praying for Samuel at any given time. And to feel that community just wrap around us was just incredible. The doctor who told us to get an abortion was actually in the operating room delivering our son. In that moment, they had said, don't expect, don't expect to cry. We're not expecting him to cry or, or make a sound, so don't worry about it. And, um, oh man. When he came out, he had a war of a lion. He just hears his cry just going from room to room. <laughs> realize that it was a miracle to hear him cry and that's that's part of the miracle I think um, that God has placed on our hearts to share and these babies are just living proof (laughs) for people who are going through a difficult season just have that faith in Jesus and keep faith and understand that he's going to take you through it he's going to walk you through he's going to be there for you in the good times and in the bads you can always just rely on him and depend on him What's gonna happen in the end? We know that Jesus wins. We know that death doesn't have victory. We know that grief doesn't have victory, sickness, no matter what, the Lord holds us in his hand. Surrounding yourself with biblical community, surround you with people who will pray for you, feel that warmth and love, and people who will hope even when you don't have hope um, is so important. The song that was playing in the background was, was written for baby Samuel, and you may have noticed about halfway through the video that there was a heartbeat in the background. That was his little heartbeat. My favorite part of that video is when Jose said, 
uh, and he started to he started to cry, and it was like the roar of a lion. <laughs> and I love that. I love that picture that he paints for us. Because do you know who else had the cry of a lion? It's Jesus. As he and that and that baby does too. Praise be to God. Right. <laughs> love that. Please don't. Whoever you are, please don't feel like you need to leave. You do not need to leave. I'm serious. Is Jesus, when he walked out of the grave, also had the roar of a lion, snatching life out of the throes of death. He is robbing the grave and he is bringing you and me with him. The lamb of God slain for us is the lion who's ready to roar. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And Jesus is showing us in no uncertain terms that death is no match for the author of life. Death is no match for the author of life. Praise God. Praise God. And I love the fact that as a church community, we got a picture of that in what's to come, But here's what we need to wrestle with today. Here's what you need to wrestle with today. This is a gift and it must be received. Listen again to the major text that we've been looking at this morning. Or he's, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, read this word in yellow with me. Whoever, whoever. So I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what kind of evil you've been a part of or darkness you've been a part of. I don't know what kind of hurt you've endured or what kind of abuse has come your way. I don't know your story. I just know that exactly like me, we are both a part of whoever. Whoever. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, he's die. He, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you see? He's saying to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And then he ends up by saying, do you believe this? And it's where I want to end us today as well. Do you believe this? It's a singular. It's not, do y'all believe this? Do all y'all believe this? It's do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, the scriptures are, are clear in teaching that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that, that's a declaration back to Jesus. You are the king of my life. It's a turning from our sin to Jesus. It's asking for forgiveness. It's telling him, I want your resurrection power in my life. I want your presence in my life. It's saying to him, I want the hope of eternity to step into my present hurt. I want your answer to heal my ache. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what we've been talking about today. You will be saved. And we all need that. We all need to be saved. We, we all need to be redeemed, to be healed, to be restored because we all live with this ache. And the question is, do you wanna live with that ache for all of eternity or do you want Jesus to be the answer that heals it? 
See, because here's the truth of the matter. Just like I walked through the Tijuana airport and walked out and the doors closed behind me and as hard as I tried to get back in, I could not convince that security guard to let me back in. One day we too will walk down the corridors of death. It's coming for every one of us. And when we step out of this life, breathe our last in these types of earthly bodies, we will step into eternity and the doors will close behind us. And the scriptures teach clearly and they say that we are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The question is, will you face that judgment based on your own merit or based on the merit of Jesus? Will you trust him or will you trust yourself? Those are the only two choices. Will you put your faith in him and say, I confess you as my Lord. See, here's the deal, here's the deal. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not gonna force himself on you. He's not gonna force you to trust him as Lord. If you want to be away from God, God will honor that for all of eternity. That place is called hell. But if you wanna be with God, if you wanna say back to him, I trust you, I give my life for you. I want to live in your presence. He will honor that also. That place is called heaven. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Death is no match for the author of life. But the question is, will you let him write your resurrection story? Will you rise again? Some of you are here today to make that decision for the very first time. My guess is even as I'm talking, the spirit of God is just pressing on your heart, going, this is for you, this is for you. Some of you are here and you've been away for a long time. You've sort of held God in an arm's length distance and maybe because of family or friends, you find yourself in this place today. And today is the day that Jesus is inviting you to come home. And so I wanna pray for, for you. If you're in either of those positions today, either of those places today, I wanna pray for you. And so I'm gonna invite you to put your stuff away. And I just wanna pause and invite you to ask one simple question of God, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do? For some, it's to trust him for the first time. For others, it's to come back home. And if you're in either one of those positions, can I just invite you? I wanna pray for you. Will you raise your hand right now? I wanna pray for you. If you say, God, I wanna trust you for the very first time or God, I've wandered and I'm coming home today. This is the day. Would you just put your hand up in the air? We wanna pray for you. I see, right there. I see you, I see you, I see you. Just keep it up for a few moments so I can see you. Right on, I see you. See you, balcony. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. See you. I see you. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. If you're somebody who's saying to Jesus for the very first time, I'm trusting you as the resurrection and the life. You might want to pray something just like this. This is between you and God. It's not my words, but yours. You could say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior and Lord. I 
turn from my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I long to live as one of your disciples. Will you fill me with your spirit and teach me how to become one of your disciples? I love you. And if you're coming back to the Lord today, you might wanna say something like this. Jesus, I know that you don't want the speech. I know you just want me. And so I just wanna tell you, I love you. And I wanna walk closely with you because I believe that you're a God who's the answer to the ache in my soul. Jesus, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in you, though he die, yet he shall live. Thank you for being our living hope. Thank you that suffering is never the end of the story. Thank you that you are the answer to our ache. Thank you that you love us enough and that you love your creation enough to make all things new. We praise you. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.